Okay, right, we're back in the book of uh, Exodus today. Um, if you have a Bible, then feel free to find the book of Exodus. If you don't, then don't worry at all. The words will appear on the screen as if by magic behind me in a moment. Um, first of all, just to add my welcome, uh, if um, you're uh, new with us, if this is your first time here, uh, we know what it's like to walk into a place like this full of a room full of strangers. It can be a, a, a disorientating, a awkward experience, so well done for coming in. Uh, we hope you feel very much at home with us. We believe the church is a family, and uh, you might feel like, well, I don't know anyone here. This isn't my family. Well, then we just invite you just to kind of have a look over the edge into our family life, and uh, we hope that you do feel welcomed, and people will hopefully speak to you and introduce themselves, and if not, just go up to them and say, who are you? and start a conversation. Please don't, when we finish, you don't need to dash off at the end, hang around, get to know some people. Great. As I said, we're in the book of Exodus. Um, we've been working through uh, the Exodus story. We took a bit of a break over the summer, but uh, through from about east onwards, we've been working through the Exodus story, which uh, if you don't know it, that's totally fine. If you feel like, oh, I've missed out on all these weeks, don't worry at all. It will all hopefully make sense as we go. The, the Exodus story is about God leading his people, the Israelites, out of slavery. We find them in Egypt where they're slaves. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, and the Egyptian empire are oppressing the Egyptians, holding them in slavery. And God's called Moses to lead the people out. Uh, and in chapter 5, which is what we looked at last week, Moses uh, and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and for the first time after God convincing Moses, eventually he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, <laughs> nice try, no chance, and uh, makes their oppression even harder. He works them even harder. Uh, and the Israelites go to Moses and say, what are you doing? Look, you've made things worse for us. Just leave us alone. And Moses goes to God and says, why me? Why did you call me? And that's kind of where we pick up the story today. And chapter six, which we're going to look at, is God's response to Moses. It's kind of what God says back to him in return. So let's uh, read this together as it appears on the screen in a moment. Here we go. But the Lord said to Moses, now you should see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I, bring you, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God 
who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Right, let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your words, this book that you've given us. We thank you that it speaks about you, not just to tell us a nice myth, a story, something just to get us excited, but it brings us truth, not just something that is true, but it is truth itself. It's something for us to build our lives upon. And we pray that as we look at it today, that Jesus, you'd be made known to our hearts, that as we read the words here, that you would speak deeply into our souls. Not that we just hear a seminar or a lecture, but you do something within us to change us from the inside out. We love you, Jesus. We pray you'd help us to love you more. Amen. Amen. One of the big misunderstandings about the Christian faith is that it's just like any other religion that we can just pick and choose. There's some religions over here, there's one over here, and oh, there's Christianity here. People can believe that they're all basically the same. Some people believe that all religions are basically, they're just all evil and about to oppress people. Some think they're all just a bunch of nonsense. But most people in the world around us would think, well, they're all basically the same. Just people are still living in uh, beliefs from thousands of years ago that are now redundant. And Christianity is just one, one of many myths that people get excited about. And people would think that we're, we're, you're just a Christian because it's what your parents told you. It's because, it's because of where you live or where you were born or the society you were part of or the country that you were born in. That it's just something you kind of inherit. And often what we've, we've heard or even what we think about Christianity, sometimes even what we've experienced about it is that it's just another set of rules, a legislation, some dictates that we have to follow, that if we don't do certain things, if we don't follow certain procedures, that somehow we'll, we'll, we'll not gain any salvation, that we'll be lost, that there's a pattern that we have to follow, there's things that we have to do. But the thing is, what we believe is that following Jesus isn't just following a bunch of commands. It's not just fulfilling a law. It's not fulfilling a law at all. It's about knowing someone. It's about everything that Jesus has done and nothing that we've done. It's the reverse of what we might think. And this Exodus story, it reveals to us, it doesn't tell us how the people of Israel just were, became more and more obedient. They just kept doing the right things and eventually said, well, you've, you've reached the state of perfection, now I'll let you go. 
Actually, the opposite is true. The Israelites again and again turn their back on God. They ignore Moses. They say, who are you? We're not going to follow you. We're not going to follow this plan. Leave us alone. You're making life worse for us. It says here that they, under the, the, this, the, they had a broken spirit under the harsh slavery. They turned their backs on God. It's not about what they did. The Exodus story is about what God did, about he, how he rescued them, even though they did nothing at all. But God came to rescue them. It says in Romans 5, it says this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that God shows his love for us having realized that we weren't really that bad after all, <laughs> that we did a few good things this week, that that guy, he prayed really hard this week. That guy read loads of his Bible, therefore I'll love him. <laughs> It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what makes Christianity completely unique amongst any religion in the world. That it's not about anything that we do, but it's completely about what God has done for us while we were still sinners. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning is, is just a few verses in the middle of this chapter where there are, there are seven I wills that God speaks. Because as we said, uh, the people of God, Moses in particular, have, have kind of come and complained to God after they've been to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, just, you've got to work harder. It looks like there's no way out. And God says, look, I've remembered my covenant. I've heard your groaning. I will act. And then he delivers these promises, these quite profound promises, which... Uh, uh, are profound not just for the Israelites thousands of years ago, but for us today. So first of all, he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the first one. And then the second one, he says, I will deliver you from slavery to them. And then the next one, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. And these seven I wills that God speaks, um, I'm going to kind of just break them down into four promises four promises that God speaks. And amazingly, I've managed to make it so they all start with a letter R, which, okay, stick a fork in me, I am done. All right, that's as, that's as good preaching as you're ever gonna get. I've got four points and they all begin with the same letter. Success! <laughs> I've never done that before and I feel delighted with myself. And it happened completely by accident. I had this moment of revelation where they all begin with R. And I wish that had some meaning to it, but it doesn't, so sorry. Here we go, here we go. Let's get into the first one. Number one, rescue. God says, I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. See, the Israelites, as we've been looking at over these number of weeks and months, just like us, they're unable to save themselves. They can't deliver themselves. They're lost. They're, they're in 
slavery. They have taskmasters, they have a job to do, they have an evil empire oppressing them. They, they can't get out. They can't just get up one day and just say, well, I'm not gonna do this anymore. They can't just go and hand in their notice and say, well, I'm done with this job, off I go. They're, they're literally slaves. They're stuck in this oppression. And the reality is that you can be the same. That all of us, at some point, get stuck. We get lost. All of us need saving. We all need a savior. There's nobody here that's perfect. You might think, oh, I've had, a, I've had a pretty good week. If you really examine your heart, you'll know that you're not perfect, that you've made mistakes, things that you think, do you know what, even, even if God doesn't exist, I don't want to do that. I've let myself down. I've not achieved the things that I wanted to do, or I've hurt people around me. I said that thing, or I thought that thing, or I did that thing that hurt that person, that hurt that relationship. Irrespective of what we've done to hurt God, to offend God, all the ways we've turned our back on him, all the ways we've tried to live for ourselves, thinking, if I can just keep myself happy, if I can just get my life satisfied and content, ignoring God, and it doesn't work. We all need a savior. We all need to be rescued. We all need to be brought out. And God says to them, I've heard your groaning. That's true for us as well. Maybe you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a, a Christian. Or maybe you're not even sure. I don't know, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But whatever your situation is, God hears your groaning. He hears your complaint, your difficulty. He sees your life. He knows it. And he has a plan for you. He has a plan to liberate us, to rescue us. Over the summer, I read a book called The Bridge Too Far, which is also made into a movie about how during the Second World War, the Allied armies drove up from Belgium all the way through the southern part of the Netherlands, uh, and they took one bridge after the other, trying to get into Germany. And uh, they got to Arnhem, loads of men parachuted into Arnhem, and they fought this huge battle to try and liberate the nation of the Netherlands. And they lost the battle, they failed. And only the southern part of the country remained liberated and the northern part wasn't. Thousands of people died. And uh, this was in 1944, this was in the autumn, so about this time. And then over the, the winter, the, the northern part of the country, including Amsterdam, was cut off. No food could get in here, no supplies. People were starving. People ate um, tulip bulbs and they cut the bark off of trees to try and keep themselves alive. And the country was, was half liberated. But the thing is, the, the liberation, the rescue we've had in God is completely sufficient. It meets all of your needs, not just some. It's not just like a religious spiritual fix that just gives you a high to keep you going. It speaks into every part of your life to every single detail of your life. And it meets all of your needs. It's completely sufficient. It goes right to the root of the problem and brings the solution. If we go back to Romans again, a couple of verses before, the verse we looked at a minute ago, it says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
when, when we were still weak, when we were ungodly. It's completely the opposite to religion. Religion says when you're godly. Christianity says when you're weak, a saviour's come to rescue you, to liberate you. And it goes right to the heart of the problems in your life. It's not just a, a placebo, a, a fix, a drug to keep you going. A writer called Chris Wright said this. He said, the salvation that this God offers is salvation that first diagnoses where the real roots of our problems lie and then goes right to the roots and deals with them, not merely with their unwelcome fruit. So, so many things in life that we can try and find, all sorts of self-help things, things to kind of make life a bit better, they deal with the superficial things. They deal with the things around the edges of life. You think, if I could just fix my diet, if I could just eat better, if I could be healthier, if I could just enjoy my job more, if I could just get a different job, if I could just get a different relationship, if this could just work. And all the time, we're dealing with the superficial things of life. If I could just get a new iPhone, if I could just get this or that, that'll fix things. And then we discover that it doesn't. <laughs> Not even close. What Jesus does is he goes right to the heart of the problem in here, and he fixes that. You could say in our world, particularly where all the time we're supposed to be progressing, things are supposed to be getting better and better. We've got the best technology, the best healthcare. In, in, in one way, you could say that the, the hardware of our world is really impressive, but the software is broken. What goes on inside, that's what's broken. That's what needs fixing. And what God does is he rescues us and then the next promise, he redeems us. He brings redemption. He says, I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll deliver you from slavery. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. With God's outstretched arm, he redeems us. With his mighty hand, he comes to redeem us, to set us free is in complete opposition to Pharaoh. Pharaoh who would have been known, they would have said about Pharaoh that he had a strong hand, that he was powerful and mighty. And God says to him, no you don't. No you don't, you don't have any strength. The real strength is in God. There are things maybe that are holding you captive that feel strong and powerful that you can't break out of, ways of thinking, things that you do that you can't escape from. God is mightier than all of that. There's no real power there. God's in control. And it's only, only the hand of God that can bring redemption, that can set us free. And you can try yourself, and you probably have tried. In fact, I know that you've tried because that's what we do. We try. Even after we become Christians, we still keep trying to somehow make it better, to somehow earn something it's kind of the default position that we keep flitting back into. We get up in the morning and we read our Bible and we, we, we suddenly feel like, oh yes, I'm like class A Christian this morning, I've nailed it. And we think that if we just do that more and more that we'll somehow attain something better, that we'll suddenly, somehow, that we'll earn something, we'll win something. And we're trying to pay the price ourselves from our own pocket, but you can't because it's already been paid. 
<laughs> there's, no, there's no debt anymore. There's nothing to pay off. Jesus has paid it all for you. He's redeemed you. So this liberation, this redemption, what it means is, is that your deliverance, your rescue, it cost something. It came at a price. Jesus said in, in Matthew, one of the, oh no, not that, that's not Matthew, where are we? Here we go. Jesus said, even as, I, even as the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The price paid is this ransom. Jesus gave his life, that was the cost, the price he paid to set you free. And, and there, there are different words in the Hebrew to describe redemption. The word here, it's like, it's an intimate phrase. It's a phrase that you would use when a, when a, a brother or a sister or a father would go and pay to have their son uh, taken out of slavery. They'd go to the slave owner and they'd pay a price to get their son or their relative back. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He died to rescue us back to rescue us back into his family, to call us back to him. Because what Jesus has been doing, he's been rescuing us, he's redeemed us to the next promise, into relationship. It says at the bottom there, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. See, at the very heart of God's plan, it's not just to set people free. It's not just to open the jail cell and let everyone run out and just go off and do our own things. But God's rescued you, us, for a purpose. He's called us into relationship. These verses here, I'll take to be my people, I'll be your God. That's kind of the central promise that God makes he was talking about earlier when he comes and makes a covenant where he's made an agreement to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's all based around this, that he's calling back a people. He's, he, the, the covenant is not just, I'm just going to rescue you. The covenant is I want to know you. I want to call you into family, into relationship. This is the central promise of the Bible, that God desires he's saved a people for his own possession. He's called you to know him. It says in 2 Corinthians, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and will walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. <laughs> that phrase, I'll be their God, they shall be my people in different ways, in different ways around that flows all the way through the Bible and God desires to make a dwelling with us, to know us. That means that God's here right now. That's what we believe, he's here right now. These verses are talking about the church, the people of God, that God's made his dwelling now amongst his people. There isn't a temple in Jerusalem we go to. There's not a place where we go to which is a special anointed arena. It's not that anything about this building is in somehow kind of magical or religious or spiritual. The people of God, the church, is where God dwells. 
the Holy Spirit lives within you. If you're a believer in him, God's chosen to make his home in your heart because he wants to know you. See, being a Christian, it's more than, than, a, than just a belief system. It's more, than, it's more than just a kind of spiritual resource. You might think, well, I have these resources of, of, of grace, of power to draw upon. You can hear people say, you know, I love the presence of God, or I love the gospel, or I love the Bible. And all those things are true, but that, that's not the heart of Christianity. We get to say that we love Jesus, and more importantly, he loves us, that he wants to know us, to have relationship with us. It, it's, it's not, Christianity isn't knowing about God, it's knowing God. It's something very different. It's not, not book knowledge or head knowledge, it's something that encompasses all of our being. God wants to know us. He, he does know you. All your ins and outs, all your imperfections, he knows every single bit because he's been with you. If you're a believer in him, he's been with you this week, all the time. All those things you thought, well, nobody saw that. God saw that. He was there. And that, I'm not saying that to frighten you or to scare you, but I'm saying that to be a wonderful encouragement to you. God's with me. I can know him. I can talk to him. The Bible uses different analogies to talk about our relationship with God. It talks about how we can know God as sons and daughters would a father, or how a wife knows a husband. They're deliberate kind of family, intimate phrases, because that's the relationship we're supposed to have with God. We come to him as his sons, as his daughters, and we, we come and get to talk to our dad. And you can do that. You can just talk to him as you would a father, a perfect father, not a failed, flawed father like some of us would have, but a perfect father who loves you deeply. You get to know God. What an amazing privilege that is. See, God's made himself known to us. There's a, a writer called... J.I. Packer, who wrote an amazing book called Knowing God, he said this, for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? <laughs> You might think, oh, maybe if I, if I come to church, I could, I could have some sp sort of spiritual experience or, or I could kind of get this something. I don't know what you're searching for, but what God is offering you is relationship that you can call God your friend and that you can know him. That's what we need. That's what our city needs. That's what the people around us need to know God. Let's move on. And then the final promise is rest. It says, I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give it to you for a possession. See, God's plan, it just keeps getting better. 
He's, he's prepared a, a home for you, a place of eternal rest, a place where there isn't any sickness or pain or worry. He's laid out a beautiful future for you where we get to go and spend eternity with him. Where you might think like even being God's friend, it feels difficult and there are so many things in the way. There's a future mapped out for you where you can know him as a friend intimately and perfectly forever. He's called each one of you into this beautiful future. He's got this inheritance, this possession for you to come and take in his kingdom. I could talk about that so much more, but just for time, I'm going to move on. I, I hope that you're seeing the connection that we're making here. Hopefully this should be very obvious. This is God speaking to the Israelites. He's giving promises to them about how Moses is going to rescue them and lead them out. That he has a, a land, Canaan, that they're going to move into and make a home. That he's going to redeem them. That he's going to rescue them. But I hope you see that it's Jesus who is this rescuer. Who's the liberator? Who's set you free? Who's freed us from our sins, as it says in Revelation. Jesus is the redeemer who paid the price for you. It's through Jesus that we're brought into relationship with God and his church. It's Jesus who will bring us into rest in his land of glory. All of this passage is about what Jesus has done for us. He's rescued us, redeemed us called us into a relationship with him, has set aside, laid aside an eternal rest for us. And the wonderful thing is that amongst all this, I guess what this all is about is the grace of God, despite everything else. Because what we find is that uh, Jesus, God's spoken these seven I wills. He's made these promises to the people, to Moses. Moses goes and talks to the people and spoke to them and it says, but they, they didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They didn't listen. <laughs> they didn't listen. But yet, that doesn't, nothing changes. When we go on in the story, when we read, read on, nothing changes. The book of Exodus doesn't end there. It's not like God brings all these promises and the Israelites say, well, no thanks. And God says, okay, that's it. I'll go and find another people. I'll close the book. End of the story. Not to kind of give away too many spoilers, but God does rescue them. God does lead them out. And it's not really because anything fundamental changes with the Israelites. It's not something they have an epiphany, a kind of a moment, and everything changes. But God's chosen, he's decided, he's made a covenant with them. A covenant means like a firm promise, a heart commitment. When God makes a covenant, he doesn't break it. When we make covenants, when we sign contracts, when we make agreements, we, 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 we sometimes we do break them, because that's what we do. When God makes a promise, a covenant, it's like when you get married, you make a, a covenant agreement, you make promises to one another. God has made promises to us, and he'll keep them. God made a promise to the people of Israel, and he's going to keep it. And that's just the incredible grace of God that it's not, it's not governed. God's love for you doesn't change depending on how you feel. It doesn't. And, and often, we don't feel worthy of God. You know, you've done things and then you think, I can't pray because of what I've done. 
We feel like maybe I'll just leave it till tomorrow. I'll feel better about myself tomorrow. You know, time's a healer. I'll just let time do the work. We can feel like, I just, I just don't feel like it. God feels so distant from me. He's not. He's not. It's not about how you feel. God's grace isn't affected by that. It's not affected by their broken spirit. It's not affected by the conditions you find yourself in, the harsh slavery. It's not affected by the world around us. It's not that God looks at this city and says, it's too broken, I've given up. These people, they're just going to have to fend for themselves now. God's grace isn't stopped by things like that. It just isn't. It's, it's Jesus plus nothing. There's nothing extra that you can bring to the table. It's like, um, it's like a when, if, if, if you ask a builder to go and build a house for you, and he builds the perfect house, We've got it happening across the, 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 out the back of our house. You can stand on our balcony, you look across, and the apartment opposite us, they're doing all sorts of renovation, it's taking them months. And you can tell that they've spent the money, they're gonna do a good job. And it's, looking, it's beginning to look really nice. But it's not like you, you get the keys and you walk in, you've got this perfect house, and you think, I'm just gonna get out my tools and try and fix this. Because <laughs> that's what we do. We've got, God's delivered this amazing thing for us and we get out our hammer and we start whacking away. We start making a mess, trying to somehow improve it to fix it. Our salvation can be like that. God saved you and there's nothing you bring to the table. You just say, God, I want to follow you. I trust in you. And even that faith to respond to God, that's his grace at work. That's his initiation. That's him at work within you. Everything about your walk with God is Jesus plus nothing. Even the steps of obedience that you take, that's God working in you. That's his spirit within you, enabling you to follow him. And now what I'm not saying is, oh great, then you know, I'll just give up. and I'll just do exactly whatever I want. No, we're saying we do want to live to follow God, but trusting always in his grace. Trusting in what he's doing through us and in us. While we were still sinners, when we were weak and ungodly, Jesus died for us. What I want to do is we're going to stop now. Well, I'm going to stop. We're going to sing a couple of songs together. What we're going to do first of all is we're going to sing one song, uh, and then I'll get up again and lead us into communion, and then we'll sing another song and, and uh, take communion together. But I want us just to use this moment just to let your heart, just to come and respond to God. You know, sometimes we can hear words and it can, can provoke us, but I don't want, I don't want you to just to, to go away. I want you just to take a moment before God as we sing. And it might be that you find by even singing these words that you can somehow bring yourself to, to God in worship. Or it might be you just wanna, you just wanna not sing at all. You want, if you want, you can just stay seated. Maybe you just want to kneel down. That's okay. You may want to stand there and thrust your arms in the air. That's fine. But just come and respond to God. And just, just very simply say, I need you. I can't do this by myself. In fact, I'm utterly convinced there's no way I can do this by myself. I need you.